In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the first Sunday of Lent. We are preparing ourselves for Easter. We're preparing ourselves to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. The only way that we can really feel that joy of resurrection is if we feel the sorrow of the crucifixion. The only way that we can really experience the sorrow of the crucifixion is if we uh, understand what it is that the Lord died for, if we take into account our own sins and temptations. And when we take into account our own sins and temptations, we have to uh, prepare ourselves uh, to have them removed from us. And we do this in the keeping of 40 days. We keep the 40 days in accordance with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his 40 days in the wilderness, in accordance with the 40 days that Moses spent on Sinai, in accordance with the 40 years that the nation of Israel spent wandering in the wilderness, in accordance with the 40 days that the Lord washed the whole earth in the waters of Noah's flood. And so as we start our 40 days, we consider ourselves and joining with them, with the holy people of God, for that season of preparation. Indeed, the book of Deuteronomy is ending the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They've come to the end of that period of time. Deuteronomy is when Moses brings them to the edge of the Jordan River, and he goes up high and he says to them, this is what's happened over these 40 years. This is what we've gone through and this is why and what the Lord has done for us. He summarizes. He tells them a second time. That's what Deuteronomy means. The second time he's told them what it is that the Lord has done and why. And he tells them as they go into the promised land, as they cross the Jordan River into the promised land, they're going to have a response. There needs to be a response to this salvation of God. God has saved them. He's brought them out of slavery. He's brought them out of sin and death. He's brought them through the wilderness. He's brought them to the Jordan River. He's bringing them into the promised land. And they have to respond to that gift. And so he's going to teach them how it is that they're going to respond. Look at what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to give and to rejoice. So he says that when they come into the land, they're supposed to take the fruits of the land, the first of the fruit, the first of the fruit. And we can talk for a long time about why first fruits are important, why it is that we're supposed to give first fruits to the Lord. When I get $1,000, I give a 100 of it to the Lord first and foremost, right? That's the first check that my family writes. When Jesus the Good Shepherd gets $1,000, we send a 100 of it off to the diocese. It's the first check that we write. The first fruits are the most important ones to give. That's why we're here on Sunday morning, not only to celebrate the resurrection, but because it's the first day of the week. It's the first of our time this week. We're giving our first fruits to the Lord, the first of everything that we have. When we give first fruits, we're saying that we are depending on you alone, Lord. We are grateful for what you've given us, and we depend upon you for all that we have. And so he says you're supposed to give the first fruits uh, to the Lord and to his priests. And he says that when they do it, they're supposed to do it in a, in a ceremonial way. They're supposed to do it in a liturgical way, if you will. This isn't kind of a, a random, higgledy-piggledy, haphazard way of giving first fruits. Oh, here you go. Uh, they're supposed to do it in a liturgical way. They're supposed to start, right? He tells them what they're supposed to say in Deuteronomy 26, verse five, 25, or excuse me, verse 5. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. You shall make response. This is what we do in liturgy, right? 
The celebrant says something and the people respond. The celebrant says something and the people respond, right? And so this is what the nation of Israel is supposed to do. They're supposed to respond to what it is that the Lord has given them. They're responding to his gift of salvation and his gift of the promised land. So they make response. What is the response that they give? The response is that now they are going to tell the history of salvation, right? Our father was a wandering Aramean. Again, this is what we do in liturgy. We tell the story of salvation. At one time, Moses was the one who was telling them, right? He was their father and prophet, telling them over and over again, this is what God has done. He's saying, now when you come into the promised land, you're going to be mature, you're going to be expected to act maturely. Now you are going to tell the Lord. You all are going to have that role of responding to the Lord and saying, we know the story of salvation. We know what you have done for us. It's by your right hand. It's by your strength. It's out of your love that we've been saved. Not by what we've done or what we deserve. Indeed, we have deserved death and sin. But because of your love, you've brought us out of Egypt. And so they're told to tell that story. They become a nation. They become mighty and prosperous. He brought them into the place of the land, a land flowing of milk and honey. So they, they summarize that whole bit of salvation history. And then they say, I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you have given me. Right? You have given me the ground. This is at the top of page two. And set it down and you shall rejoice and all the good that the Lord has given to you. So they respond to what the Lord has done, they give thanks for what he has done, and then they rejoice, they celebrate what it is that the Lord has given them. The Lord your God has given to you and to your house, and to the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So this preparation for how they're supposed to respond to the gift is a strengthening of their understanding and their participating in salvation. And of course, they don't do it. Right? They don't do it, and they lose the gift. It's taken away from them. Because they don't respond the way that they were taught to respond. So now... Jesus is completing that same act. He has been baptized in the Jordan River, just as the nation of Israel passed over the Jordan. He's baptized in the same spot on the Jordan River, just in case we missed it, right? That this is his fulfilling of salvation history. He's baptized in that same spot. And then he, after baptism, just as the people of God are going to go into the promised land, Jesus goes into the promised land and it's there that he's tempted. He's tempted in this wilderness called the Judean wilderness that's between Jericho and Jerusalem. And this is some of the most difficult terrain in the world. In 10 miles, the terrain and altitude changes 4,000 feet. Jerusalem at over 2,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho and the Dead Sea at like 1,500 feet below sea level. And they're 10 miles apart. And this is sandstone and limestone and rock. And there's all kinds of undulating hills. And as they go up, 
into this into this wilderness jesus is in this this fantastic difficult terrain where there's no food there's no ability to grow crops there there's nothing to eat he's uh, in this wilderness and he's there to completely rely upon the lord our god and of course it's there when satan meets him because that's what satan does right when we get about the business of God, when we get disciplined about the business of God, when we set our mind to the Lord, that's when Satan comes and says, don't you want to quit? Don't you want to give up? You don't really need to do this. That's too hard. You don't need to do hard things. God loves you no matter what. And he tempts Jesus using scripture in three ways. And these three temptations are important for us because you might say all the temptations that we have can be found under these three basic categories. The first one is bread, right? This is lust. This is the appetites of the flesh, the appetites of the body, right? That we want to to respond to our own body, to our own gut, to our own uh, sense of need and want. And that's going to be our Lord and God, right? My body becomes my Lord and master. And so that's the temptation of the flesh. And he says, go ahead and make these rocks bread. And Jesus responds to him in all three temptations out of one book. Deuteronomy. Right? This is the book that was given to the people of God for entering the promised land. And so Jesus is saying, this is how the people of God were reminded. Right? And so what does, what does Jesus say uh, in response uh, to Satan? This is Luke chapter 4, verse 4, on page 4 of your bulletins. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And of course we know that that is by, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? So we are, we are depending upon the Lord. He's the one that's provided. And he's the one who's going to continue to provide. The second temptation is for power, right? What uh, St. Luke here calls authority, right? And so he says, um, go ahead and use this authority that you've been given, right? And worship me. So give me that power. Give me that worship. And then I'll give you all power and authority. This is a fantastic temptation. This is the one for power. We might also say greed. And this speaks to the tyrant, that little tyrant that lives within all of us, that makes us want to just control other people. We're desperate to get control. We want to tell other people what to do. We want to hold other people uh, to a standard that we set. We want to control them and manipulate them, right? And so this is the, the temptation of power that we all can succumb to. And then the the antidote that Jesus gives to that is you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So we worship the Lord. We turn to him for power. We turn to him for strength. We turn to him for all that we need. And we know in our worship of God that he has given us freedom. That scary freedom of will. And if we're truly going to receive this freedom and we're truly going to appreciate this freedom, we have to allow others that same freedom while acknowledging the righteousness of God and his call to us to righteousness. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then finally, he tempts him with fame. With what? Fame. 
fame. Acknowledgement. To be acknowledged. We all seek it, don't we? We all seek to be acknowledged. We all seek to, to be recognized. Right? We want to be recognized for what we've done. We want to be acknowledged. We want to get some kind of, 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 of just desserts of our due. Right? That, that seeking of fame is a very powerful thing. We want people to look at us. And so Satan says, um, throw yourself down from the pinnacle. This would have been the highest place in Jerusalem, the very top tower of the citadel. And it stands right over the Kidron Valley the low point in Jerusalem, between there and the, and the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And it would have been a, a dramatic drop from the pinnacle down to the bottom of the valley. And he says over and over again, you, throw yourself down, the angels concerning you to guard you, to bear you up, lest you fought, let your foot, right? It's you, 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 right? He's saying, make it about yourself. Draw attention to yourself. Draw power to yourself. And of course, we know that the only one that we need to be acknowledged by is our Father in heaven, who we meet in secret. When we are with our Father in secret in prayer, He knows us. He acknowledges us. He recognizes us. And if we allow Him, He will fill us up so that we have no need of being acknowledged by others. And so Jesus answers and He says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put your Lord, your God, to the test. In other words, maintain the place the Lord has you in the right place. At the right time, turn to Him and seek Him. He's going to take you step by step. You don't need to do anything to step out away from the Lord and His will. And so, this antidote that Jesus gives us to temptation is about returning to the Lord, returning to His Word, and returning to the relationship that we have with our God so that we may be united with Him in true worship. And this is what St. Paul shows us to do in Romans chapter 10. He teaches us how we're going to respond to temptation, which will come, right? We don't get to be naive and think that we're not going to have temptation. We don't get to be foolish and think that we're not going to have difficult times. We know that temptation and difficult times are going to come. We know then that we have to be prepared for it by the reading of God's word and by living according to his will, by being united to him. And St. Paul describes this as confessing and believing. As confessing and believing. So he says that Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. That is that he is the fulfillment. He's brought the law of righteousness to its conclusion in him. And when we participate in Christ, we're participating in that law of righteousness and in its fulfillment. Right? And he says that what do we need to do? He says that our response needs to be not speculation, right? Wondering who's going to hell, wondering who's going to heaven, busying ourselves with problems that are not ours. Our focus needs to be upon the word of God that is in our mouth to live according to his will, right? He says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And then he says, because if, that great theological word, if... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead. So let's stop there. 
If you confess with your mouth, the mouth, what comes out of the mouth, as we've said before, is an indication of what's in the heart. And what comes out of our mouth during stressful times, during difficult times, during times of of stress and, and anger and difficulty and frustration, this is what illumines the heart. This is what shows what's really in our heart. And he says, if in our heart we are believing and we're depending, we're relying upon the Lord, right? And that's what comes out of our mouth. And we believe in our hearts, that is, in in our innermost being, we know that our focus, our goal, is upon Christ and His resurrection from the dead, then we will be saved. We will be saved. That is, we will be going in and growing in participation and unity with our God and Father. Because that's what's in our hearts and in our mouth and in our minds, and that is where our hope lies. That becomes our goal. He says, with the heart, this is verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. So what does that mean? This is that belief that's not just an idea that we have in our heads, but a belief that transforms our behavior. It transforms our hope. It transforms our action. So when we believe, we are justified. What does it mean to be justified? Right? You can just look here on your bulletin. One side is justified, one side is not, right? The right-hand side of the page is doing its own thing. It is not justified, right? That's us most of the time. But let me speak for myself. That's me most of the time, right? Just doing my own thing, right? To be justified is to be lined up according to the will of God. When I am lined up, when I believe in the resurrection, when I confess, when I turn to the Lord in times of temptation and difficulty, when I'm turning to His Word, right? When I'm trusting in Him, that I am aligned with Him, I am justified. So when I confess, I am justified. I am lined up. And He will bestow riches upon all. Upon all who call upon His name of time and temptation because it's going to happen we're going to have danger we're going to have temptation we're going to want to quit right and some people in the world would say well then why would you start fasting in the first place don't fast don't dedicate yourself to prayer and the reading of scripture you're just going to quit you're going to want to quit So just don't do it in the first place. Why would you bring that kind of of stress and danger into your life? These are the same people that are going to tell you, don't run the race. You're going to want to quit. You're going to get tired. Don't fall in love. You're going to get your heart broken. Right? These are the same people who participate in the culture of death that say, don't try. Don't work. Have no goal. That way you'll never be disappointed. But ours is a faith of hope. And we know that we're going to get knocked down. We know that we're going to be tempted. We know that we're going to have trials. But all the more we turn to the Lord in prayer and supplication. We depend upon His Word. We turn to Him in prayer. We give alms. We give thanks to Him. We tell His story. We do it over and over and over again. We tell the story here today and give Him our offerings We tell our story in the Eucharistic prayer and we give him what ourselves and our souls and our bodies to be a reasonable sacrifice to him.
May we give all that we have, all that we are, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he may be with us in temptation, that we may confess with our hearts and with our minds, and that we may be saved in his resurrection this day and forevermore.